We will kill you for our woman. I'm, I'm making it plain, yes. We will kill you for our woman. Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. So we had an entire episode that was planned to honor and pay respect to Black women because so often, were dismissed. However, we could not do this episode that was all about respecting Black women and not acknowledge the reality that our own network right here is getting some backlash and question marks about how we are respecting and protecting Black women. Yes, I'm talking about the fact that specifically there's been outrage and questions around why Revolt, specifically The Breakfast Club, which airs on Revolt, allowed a platform for Russell Simmons to appear. So to address this issue and get to the concerns and questions of so many, I invited one of the co-hosts of The Breakfast Club to join me. She is a woman who deserves all the respect in the world, Ms. Angela Yee. Angela, thank you for joining. Hey, Ebony, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good, Angela. You know, this is, um, I think this is a hard moment for everybody here at Revolt, and I, I'm certain that it's been a hard moment for you, and I I'm going to ask you to speak for yourself, of course, here, but I have to tell you, I felt a way reading some of the coverage that was extremely critical of you for just even being a part of and participating in the Russell interview on The Breakfast Club. But tell me, how are you feeling and, and what, where are you with all of this? I was a little uncomfortable with it, you know, in the beginning of it, just because of the accusations against Russell Simmons and... I also thought about like Gail King interviewing R. Kelly and I was like, okay, Gail King did that interview with R. Kelly, which was amazing. And I also feel like interviewing somebody isn't a cosign for what their alleged behavior or activities might have been or what they might have done, because again, it is still uh, allegations, right? It is. And, and I do feel like it wasn't us excusing Russell Simmons or particularly definitely not me and acting like, okay, you took nine lie detector tests. We believe you. It was more like, okay, let's explain some of these things. But I also understand that that's something that can be very triggering for women who are victims who have had the courage to speak out because I know that's certainly not easy. And that's something I even stated, especially against a man who is really powerful, who people look to as somebody who has been an icon in the music business. And you can be both. You can be somebody who has done, you know, great things for the music industry and also be somebody who has done horrific things to women. And so there are these allegations and I can't even say that he's been convicted of a crime. They are at this point allegations. He hasn't been convicted. I mean, as an attorney, as a defense lawyer, you know, I, I know that better than most. You know. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I can appreciate that argument, right? That technically under the letter of the law, he's innocent until proven guilty. Facts. But what we also know is that there are at least 20 allegations by, tw by 20 different women of this type of sexual misconduct going all the way up to rape. And so what, what we know for sure, Angela, is that it's an outstanding question. Right. As to whether or not, right, Russell Simmons has perpetrated harmful, violent acts against Black women. That's a fact. And so for me, um, that is legitimate in and of itself. So for, for the naysayers that really want to indict uh, even the questioning 
of Russell Simmons. So I'm feeling that in the ethos. There's a level of criticism for, for Black women that are even questioning uh, where, where Russell Simmons is on this issue. And I, I think that goes back really deep, Angela. I think it's something very historic in our community and in our culture that I, I get it. We get it honest. We have always, as Black women, felt and answered the call to protect our Black men. Right. And we always will. We always will. I get it, you know, from slavery uh, on to, to, to modern day, because they are so deeply marginalized and oppressed by mainstream white society. However, I think there's a, re- a re- legitimate question. And one of the reasons we're doing this episode, who's going to protect us? So Absolutely. for me, yeah, I noticed that you were very quiet <laughs> the first part of that interview. And, and, and I suspected it was because you really didn't want to talk to him about that much, but the accusations. And then when you started engaging in the questioning, there were several times where Russell Simmons cut you off. Can you speak to that and um, kind of what the protocol is as co-host when guests, you know, really don't allow you to create your space as leading an interview? I, I appreciate you for noticing that, Ebony. And I'm sure as you can relate to, there's been a lot of difficulties having these Zoom interviews, especially when you have mm-hmm. multiple people on. And so there's been many instances when we're doing interviews, there's four of us. You know, I have some very uh, loud and chatty, <laughs> outspoken co-hosts. I'm familiar. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so sometimes it is really hard to get your word in and also not talk over people and also not make the Zoom sound messy. Once somebody starts talking, it cuts off the other person. So... I feel like, first of all, Russell was a little defensive when it came to the questions that I was asking. And maybe he noticed my re- initial reception of us even doing. Do you it. think do you think, Angela, he expected to be asked about it at all on your platform, on The Breakfast Club? Yeah, I believe so. I'm pretty sure. I think, and Charlamagne said in the interview, he was on a conversation with him and Maxine Waters. I know that they communicate with each other. So I'm quite sure that it was relayed to him, you know, that... Okay. And I can't imagine that he would come on The Breakfast Club and think that it wouldn't come up at all. So I would anticipate that he had his answers ready. I believe they said his lawyer was there with him, if I'm not mistaken, allegedly. So there is a critique that says just by engaging, right, that you are by virtue of engaging, you are legitimizing the person on the other side of the microphone with you. What is your retort to that? I can see why people would say that, but I personally don't feel like that. There's three of us on the show, and sometimes there's a guest on, and we don't know, we don't all agree on who should be. Do y'all vote? Do y'all vote? Because I know like, on the view, they vote. They actually it's vote. Two out of three situation. Okay. On the interview. Can you sit out? Can you sit it out if you want to? I had contemplated sitting out, but I didn't think that that would be the right thing to do in that situation. If an interview like that is taking place, I felt like I should be there for it. I personally think you made the right decision with that because I would have been even more bothered just, again, as a black woman in the space and in media. Um, he, he, to me, he doesn't get the pass of not having to engage with somebody who is curious about those accusations. That's and there were so many other questions that I had and things I wanted to say. And this happens to me all the time in interviews because, again, look at us. Mm. We're having a one on one. When that happens right. and you're in a group setting. And like I said, a lot of you know, my co-host. So it's not like mm-hmm. we all get a chance to really get all of our questions off. So I do feel like and, you know, Russell was like kind of cutting me off. He wasn't really open or receptive to answering the questions that I may have had. And so I do feel like that was a disservice to me because I had like a million things that I wanted to say and I wanted to ask. It was a disservice to you, but it was also a disservice to him, Angela, because viewers have eyeballs and we see that. And that to me clearly looks like an effort to evade 
the, the inquiry, which is problematic. Clearly, there's a lot more to discuss here. So we're going to continue this conversation with Angela Yee later in the show. Today's headlines after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. These are today's headlines. With over 100 days and counting since the murder of Breonna Taylor, the organization Intel Freedom organized a rally with Breonna's family and attorney at the state capitol building in Frankfort, Kentucky. Now, I can't tell y'all how important this is, the politics and the political power of visibility. So important that we continue to say Breonna Taylor's name, that we continue to show up in the streets, saying her name, asking for the justice, that we continue to post on social media. Today would be a great day to arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. So I am encouraged to see this rally and I encourage you all to stay vocal and visible as it relates to our sister Breonna Taylor. Yesterday, Senate Democrats blocked the police reform bill led by Republican Senator Tim Scott, most saying that the bill didn't go far enough. Let's take a look. I have a letter here signed by 136 civil rights organizations. And I want to read you what they ca- how they characterize the bill that Leader McConnell put on the floor. This bill woefully falls short of the comprehensive reform needed to address the current policing crisis and achieve meaningful law enforcement accountability. It is, a deeply problem- it is deeply problematic to meet this moment with a menial incremental approach that offers more funding to police and few policies to effectively address the constant loss of black lives at the hands of police. Today, the Democratic-led House looks to pass a stronger police reform effort. 18-year-old Andres Cordata was shot and killed by police last week in Gardena, California. Now, authorities were saying that he was armed and fled, but after weeks of protests, now the LA County Board of Supervisors is calling for an independent investigation into Cordato's death. So we know how these things turn out. An independent investigation is critical. When entities and organizations investigate themselves, we tend to know how those play out. So keeping this thing independent is of the utmost importance. Bill Cosby has been granted an appeal in his 2018 sexual assault conviction. Cosby so far has served two years of his three to 10 year sentence. Now, what will very likely be a possibility here is that on appeal, Bill Cosby and his legal team might actually plead guilty to the underlying offense and get what we call credit for time served. He's already served two years, He would then be released from custody to live out his days as a free man. Uh, We don't know exactly how it'll play out, but that's certainly a a worthwhile legal prediction. We'll stay tuned. Bubba Wallace has expressed relief that the news found in Talladega was not intended for him. Let's listen to what Wallace had to say. You know, I was I was relieved, just like um, just like many others to know that it wasn't targeted towards me. Um, But um, it's. It's still frustrating to know that, you know, people are always going to test you and always just going to try to debunk you. And that's uh, that's what I'm trying to wrap my head around now. In the 30th straight day of protest, a statue of John C. Calhoun, a former vice president of the U.S. and a slave owner, was finally removed in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, President Trump citing that these statues are a part of the American heritage, 
is looking to execute executive orders protecting these types of monuments. Let's take a look. I think many of the people that are knocking down these statues don't even have any idea what the statue is, what it means, who it is. When they knock down Grant, when they want to knock down Grant, but when they look at certain, now they're looking at Jesus Christ. They're looking at George Washington. They're looking at Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not as long as I'm here. Okay. Now, this is extremely ironic to me for President Trump to call the people that fought for, stood for, and represented the Confederacy a part of our national heritage. I'm puzzled because I actually cannot think of any people more representative of trading the very nature of this country uh, in, in the highest form of betrayal than those that seceded from the union actually uh, and represented uh, a slap in the face of what the United States is all supposed to be about. So President Trump can call it whatever he wants, but the reality is the Confederacy uh, lost indeed, always will be on the losing side of that history point. And I see no need to protect anything about them at all. A grand jury in Glenn County, Georgia, has formally indicted the three men charged with murdering Ahmad Arbery. The charge is felony murder. This is a fantastic development indeed. I have to be honest, when I first saw the alert come through my phone, though, and all I saw were uh, charges being brought, I was hopeful that it actually were the officers in the killing of Breonna Taylor. I will remain optimistic and concerned about the charges for Sister Breonna Taylor. But indeed, it is an excellent legal development that the three men that did murder Ahmad Arbery have been formally indicted. Three North Carolina police officers have been fired after a video surfaced of their racist comments, including mentions of a possible civil war, of which they'd be ready. Let's take a look. Today is a challenging day for me because as your new police chief, one of my first major tasks is to announce the termination of three veteran wounded police officers. The reason they're terminated is for misconduct. While terminating an employee is never easy, there are times when it's necessary. And that's it for today's headlines. When we come back, we'll be talking with Congresswoman Karen Bass and Philip Agnew. You're watching Revolt Black News. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. We are joined now by two exceptional individuals. She's the representative for California's 37th district, as well as the chairwoman for the Congressional Black Caucus, Ms. Karen Bass. He's an activist, a strategist, and the founder of the Dream Defenders, Mr. Philip Agnew. Uh, we are talking about saying her name, but we're also talking about invoking the love, the respect, and the protection of black women. So thank you both for joining in this important conversation. Thank you for having me. Yes. Congresswoman, I'm going to start with you, frankly, because today is a very big, important day. And I know that you have been on the front line of leadership, particularly as it relates to police reform in this moment, specifically uh, the, the Justice Act uh, that is going forward today. So tell us a bit about what this legislation is in the House. So tell us about it and how it impacts black women. Absolutely. Well, first of all, we named it the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act after a request by his daughter. His daughter was afraid that her father would be forgotten. So we named the bill after him. And I'll divide it into three different categories. 
The bill addresses accountability uh, in police, which means that right now it's difficult to fire, to sue, or to prosecute a police officer. So we make the changes so that can happen. In addition, we ban chokeholds, we ban no-knock warrants, which is exactly why Breonna Taylor was killed. Uh, we call for a registry of bad police officers. Uh, you know what, today would have been Tamir Rice's 18th birthday. And Tamir was killed when he was 12 years old because of a police officer who was fired from another department who was then rehired because the department didn't know it. In addition, we call for uplifting the profession. I mean, if you think about it, to get your hair done, the person that does your hair has to have an accreditation, but a police officer doesn't. Most important to this bill are grants that are provided to communities to re-envision policing, because all of us recognize that over the last, I would say, 35 years, we have divested from cities, divested from communities, and invested in incarceration and law enforcement. And it's time that we rectify that. So that's a snapshot. The comprehensive nature of what you just described is extremely exciting to, to, to me personally and certainly to the culture. Brother Agnew, so mm -hmm. the work that you are doing with Dream Defenders is remarkable. Can you tell us specific? And I know that you are publicly on record as saying that you do believe that our black men need to do more to show up and protect our sisters. Uh, mm -hmm. But tell me about the black women in your program uh, mm -hmm. and, and where you see their leadership going moving forward. First off, thank you for having me. Um, I know it's a trying time and uh, it's a time that's been very, very hard for me, but these conversations really do lift my spirit. So I, I appreciate it. Um, so I left the Dream Defenders at the end of 2018 actually, and um, who is actively leading the organization are two women named Jonelle Edwards and Rachel Gilmer as co-directors. So uh, when speaking to the placement, the positionality, the power of women within the Dream Defenders, it is represented at every single level. Um, and they have guided the organization to higher heights, wider, you know, wider widths, deeper depths than I could have ever done. Indeed. Congresswoman Bass, going back to you really quickly, um, while it is a beautiful and very important and really personally touching uh, fact that the bill is now the George Floyd uh, Justice Act in that way at the request of his lovely young daughter, there are people that feel, you know, why are bills not being named after Breonna Taylor and, and the other, you know, so many women, whether it's Sandra Bland and, and the names go on. Can, can you speak to that? And maybe you have ideas as to why that's the case or there's a plan to, to to equalize the visibility of black women in this movement. Well, let me just tell you, I say that all the time. <laughs> I say that especially when it comes to criminal justice reform. I have to do a lot of education of my colleagues to let them know that women have the talk as well. I most certainly had that talk with my daughter and most certainly went through police harassment on every level as well. The reason I did the shackling bill is because a lot of times when you want to do legislation, you kind of want to do something that shows an extreme example. And mm -hmm. that's a barbaric practice of torture. Be clear. That's what you can see it. It's very visual. Yes, yeah. it is. But it allowed me to raise the issue of women in the criminal justice system. Where are our male colleagues, your male colleagues rather, on this issue Specifically, as it relates to this work you're speaking about on black women and, and women in the criminal justice system, how are they showing up as it's such an overused word now, allies, but, you know, co-conspirators of this work? Well, well, tell the, tell the truth now, Congresswoman. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. Uh, it's much better now. 
Uh, We definitely had to do some education work because uh, some of my uh, male colleagues, as a matter of fact, when First Step was going through, we really had to push our way in. And Mm -hmm. um, I am fortunate just by coincidence, I chair the committee that deals with the legislation. (laughs) So since I chair the committee, I didn't during First Step, I do now. But when I, I will tell you, when we did the hearing on women in the criminal justice system, my brothers were surprised. They weren't mm. aware. Uh-huh. Oh, so interesting. Okay. Education, but you should know that they are 150% on board now. We're a tad embarrassed. Philip, I want to ask you, uh, how are Black women showing up in your life personally? How have they been a part of your leadership development? Because, you know, you sit atop some pretty... Uh, what I like to say, some rare air spaces, brother. You know, you're in the Ivy Leagues and, and all these this, this great platforms. How have Black women be, been a part of your journey? My existence, my presence is um, singularly the creation of Black women. Um, there have been a great many. I'm a part of a fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha. Um, my and ski fi to you, bro. Oh, come on. Here we go. Uh, but But my <laughs> father was in my life. My father is in my life, was in the home. Um, but Black women more than any other group of people are singularly responsible for challenging me at times where I was unchallenged or felt unchallenged um, of lifting me up at times when I decided to tear myself down because I'm a cancer. I tend to do that sometimes get in my head. Um, And even in this period of life that I'm in right now, um, I, I could get emotional about it. It has been black women who have been lifting me and pushing me through uh, calling me, um, letting me know that I am loved, that I am trusted, um, and that they need me in this fight. And so for me, I take my time in this movement as an affirmation of uh, their commitment and seeing me over and over again. It's beautiful. I can tell you in the first fan, brother. I knew it was something special about you. <laughs> uh, final question <laughs> for Congresswoman Bass. You know, I got to ask you, sis, you are very much in the conversation uh, of potentially being our next vice president of these United I States. As well, you, as, as well, you should be. So let me ask you, whether it is yourself or another Black woman, how important is it to America's future that we have a Black woman in that vice presidency? I think it's critical, especially at this moment, at this particular moment in our history, to make sure that the ticket is diverse. All that we're going through in this country, and I'm just so encouraged by it. I mean, all the years I've worked on these issues, to have them finally come to the fore with a rainbow coalition that's out there that's not just talking about policing, but it's talking about systemic racism. That is a word, a concept we couldn't even talk about before. People wanted to reduce racism to, well, you know, everybody's racist. And, you know, I mean, we just all have to love each other. Crap. This is about institutional racism that is as American as the American flag. And so we have to have that discussion. So at a moment when you're talking about systemic racism, of course, this is the moment to make sure that the ticket has diversity at the top. Congresswoman Bass, Philip, I want to thank you both for this very personal and heartfelt conversation and also very productive conversation. We'll be back with more Revolt Black News in a minute. So many times black women say stuff and nobody gives a shit. Excuse my language. Nobody gives a f- year old activist in Florida was sexually assaulted and murdered 
and it was a 49 year old black man. Just yesterday, I've seen a black woman get smacked in the face with a skateboard at the hands of a black man. And then I saw black men throw a black woman in the dumpster while laughing and recording them. We gotta protect them from us. Black men, we have to do better. We are the ones hurting our women. They out here fighting for us with no expectation of the same thing and we out here harming them. And a lot of times in that video, the dumpster, it was multiple black men in there. Nobody said, yo, this ain't cool. When that man smacked that black woman in the face with a skateboard and knocked her unconscious, his homeboys was behind him laughing and recording. We gotta be better. And if you're an accomplice to trash, you're trash yourself. Black men, especially on the internet, say saying that we love black women when what we actually mean is we love black women we're attracted to, that we desire, or that reciprocate our desire. But when they fulfilled whatever need we had, when they're done fighting for us and taking care of us, we're one of the first ones to throw them under the bus, to criticize them, to harass them, to assault and kill them, to not believe them when they've been assaulted. Boyan Zalao was 19 years old, gave detailed account of what she was going through, yet still found the energy to fight on the behalf of all black lives, just to further be abused and killed by a black man. Then I see shit on Twitter from black Black men saying how somehow this is her fault. Black women, in my opinion, are probably the most, the smartest beings, the most intelligent beings, the most consistent beings on the planet, the most loyal beings on the planet, the nurturers of the world. So they definitely play an important, essential role in all of our lives, especially the lives of black men. We have not been taught to truly love ourselves and what that means. In our everyday lives, we're constantly bombarded by negative messages that don't instill in us this love that maybe other cultures, other races have. So black men are having to grapple with that and they're grappling with it in very private ways instead of this open forum that black women have created. I think people have such a perception of a black woman being so strong that we're just supposed to take anything thrown at us. And then when we don't, we're weak. Well, no, I'm supposed to get beat down by everybody that comes near me? No, I'll be that B. I'll be that bitch. If that means I have to stand for me and I have to show other young women that you should not let people take advantage of you no matter who they are. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. We're back with Angela Yee to continue a very important conversation. Somebody that you also gave a platform, though, to was one of the accusers. Uh, yeah. We all saw that interview as well. And, you know, I don't want to spend too much time here, but talk to me about your desire. What was the process? Whose idea was it to, to give this accuser a platform? And it, it did seem like there was still pushback even from that, fallout even from that. So speak to that. Yeah, so we had Soli Abrams on the show and she was very vocal on Twitter and her criticism on The Breakfast Club for having Russell Simmons on. And I just want to be clear, I would have definitely given any of the women from the documentary on the record or any of the accusers the platform to be able to speak their piece. No one had reached out to me personally. And I know they've said that they reached out to the producer, you know, to Eddie and and I think maybe they have. I don't know. But I will say a lot of times things get lost when you do that because there are like a, a lot of people reaching out to our producer all the time. And so sometimes messages don't get relayed to us. Sometimes he might not see it. And sometimes it's just not something that goes through the proper channels that it should go through. Someone from Still Lies Camp reached out to me and said she wanted to do the interview, actually. And she wanted it to be a one-on-one. -on -one. And so... 
I said, okay, let's make it happen. And I do definitely feel like Russell got the platform. Any one of those women deserve that platform as well. Absolutely. So in light of that, I want to just speak a minute, Angela, about being a woman that is in such a male dominated space. And, and a lot of women find themselves in this position. For you, do you feel, frankly, that you are adequately respected and honored and uh, is, is, is there space made for your voice in such a male dominated, not just profession, which we know radio and media is, but specifically on the breakfast club with two very vocal men, black men. I think it's difficult. It's challenging. And, you know, and I feel like even just behind the scenes, it's all men that we work with on the show. So mm-hmm. sometimes my opinion or what I have to say, it's not like I have people in my corner, like championing for me ever. That doesn't happen. And a lot of spaces that I've been in, I've always been the only woman. So it's always been kind of me fighting against everything. And sometimes it gets hard. And I do feel like at times you might feel like, all right, this is just too much. Like you're battling Mm -hmm. at work, you're battling online. People aren't seeing the full story of what goes on behind the scenes. They don't know what you're dealing with. And so it just can be very overwhelming. And I do feel like we do need to have more allies and more representation in these spaces. Well, I'll, I'll say my feeling on it, Angela. I frankly think there needs to be more reciprocity from our brothers. I really do. I think black men really need to, to step up and be supportive of black women in the same way that I feel and know black women have been supportive to black men. And I'm just going to say it plain because it's not there. It's not right. there, Angela. So when, when good black men, if you will, stand up and protect black women and call out their brothers who are perpetrating the violence against us and against our girls, that's where we can self-police in a way, Angela, that doesn't necessarily bring about that risk to our black brothers. Because you're right, of course, we don't want to call the cops and further endanger them. If you're an immigrant community, you're brown people, you don't want um, ICE and all this stuff coming into your house. Now you got a whole problem on your hands. I get that. But where's the self-policing of black men of other black men? And even one more thing I heard so much of, Ebony, was, well, you know, with these um, with these women who are accusing these men, you know, women lie all the time. And I even heard this from other women. Women hurries yeah. up. They want to destroy men. They didn't get what they wanted. Oh, he must have used her and abused her and, and, you know, threw her away. He didn't want to be with her. So now she's angry. She wants to tear down his career. And I'm like, listen, I don't see the benefit in this particular situation. And these women also were telling their stories like anonymously, writing books, not naming who the person was that assaulted them. And now they feel empowered because they see other women coming forward and telling their stories. And a lot of times that is what happened. You know, a lot uh, people will also say, well, why did they wait this amount of years? If this happened, why didn't they say something right away? Well, you see what's happening now? That's why. And it seems to me, again, coming from the criminal defense standpoint, if, if I'm Mr. Simmons or somebody else in his situation, I would want there to be a full uh, investigation to to clear my name so that there's no more outstanding questions. You know, there's there's no more um, dark cloud over what I represent to the culture and my legacy. Um, so I think that's that's my takeaway, Angela. You know, I'm not trying to convince anybody. Test, Ebony, that he said he took the nine lie detector test. What do you make of that? Because that's his way of, of of an investigation and clearing himself. OK, let me ask you a question, Angela. Yee. Are lie detector tests admissible in a court of law? You tell me. They're not. not. And the reason they're not, Angela, but seriously, though, the reason lie detector tests are not admissible in courts of law because they are inherently unreliable. 
Right. So it's the same reason that you can't use it to prove guilt. You also cannot use it to prove innocence. And that's, mm-hmm. that, again, that's not my bias or anything coming in. That's just the way the letter of the law reads. So lie detector tests are what we call probative tools. Um, they can be in, instructional in some way, but they are by no means reliable. And that's why we don't use them in court. That's exactly why. So what again, about so, if, yeah, what if you don't think you did anything wrong either? Well, that's that's the truth, too. Right. Is that you can, quote, beat a polygraph, you know, because if it, what it's testing is not really the truth or untruth of what you're saying. It's testing nervousness. It's testing your your body's re- almost physical reaction to the narrative that's coming out of your mouth. So typically when you lie, there's some kind of tell, whether it's a tremor or whether it's your voice inflection going up or whether it's your perspiration, you're sweating. Um, so if you're a very good liar, people beat polys all the time, you know? Right. And, and again, not saying Russell Simmons did or didn't. I'm simply saying when you know you've not done anything wrong, you should welcome the questions from you, Angela. You should welcome the opportunity to clear your name and, and be able to once and for all put to bed the allegations of wrongdoing. So I, I think for me, you know, again, I'm not trying to try anybody here on Revolt Black News. It's simply about this, Angela. It's about one thing for me and one thing only, the honoring and the, the magnificent valuing of Black girls and women. Whew, when we as a culture, and it does start actually with other Black women. You are not lying about that, Angela. We have to say. Yeah, we matter enough. Yeah, we have to say our daughters deserve to be protected from predators. That's a generational curse. I wrote um, on my New Year's Instagram post, Angela. It was about ending generational curses. Uh, and and, and every, everybody has them. But one of the ones I really am calling us to do as Black folks and a Black culture and a Black uh, culture of, of strong Black women, let's end the generational curse of, of suffering in silence of, as you say, bearing violence and trauma at the expense of our own safety and security. Let's end that right now, starting with our generation. Let's say we matter enough, our daughters matter enough, and and frankly, you know, our sons matter enough. We're not doing black men any favors by protecting them in this capacity. That's a lie. That's a lie. Well, and I don't care what nobody say. Angela, you keep checking them. I think you're doing excellent work, seriously. Um, It's not an easy job and people can have an opinion as to whether or not people should have a platform or not. But what I will tell you is people will always find a platform. What is important to me is when they avail themselves to the platform, there is some level of accountability on that platform. And I appreciate you for providing that during that Breakfast Club interview and really all the time on your work on the show and beyond. Angela Yee, thank you for your candor, sister. Thank you for your leadership in the space. Um, I know it cannot always be easy, but just know we love and we appreciate you. Thank you so much, Ebony. You know how much I love you. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to speak with Brittany Patrick Cunningham, Char Bates, and Kimberly Jones. You're watching Revolt Black News. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. My name is Brittany Packnett Cunningham, and I am here with two fellow incredible activists, Char Bates and Kimberly Jones, to discuss leaders of the movement and the importance of transformation in this time. Um, So, Kimberly, I actually want to start with you. I am a fan, 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 but I want to talk about the toll that this can take on Black women. Whether you've been doing this for a month or for 10 years, we know that being the backbone of freedom work 
work can really, really take a toll. Talk to us a little bit about how it is affecting your life and how you have been dealing with it. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I was on a call with a, with another group of women uh, last night and we talked about how self-care is so super important when you're doing this kind of work um, because it is toil, you know, it does take a toil on you and it is taxing uh, predominantly because um, women in the movement and women that we're fighting for, all of the sisters who name, whose names we need to say, really don't get the attention, the airtime and the conversation one of the other things is what I've noticed, especially in, in recent months as everything got ramped up, is that I'm really proud of my sisters because sisters have been reaching out to each other. You know what I'm saying? Like T- Tamika reached out to me a few days ago and like, you know, several other sisters have reached out to me, even, uh, you know, sisters from the book world, like um, Angie Thomas, who wrote The Hate You Give, just sent me a text. Yeah. Like, I'm just making, I know you're on those streets, sis. I'm just making sure you're okay and you're taking care of yourself and you're rested. And that narrative, the strong Black woman trope, it follows us everywhere, right? It follows us through life. It even follows us into death. And I think sometimes that is actually underlying why so few people talk about what happens to Black women as a result of police violence, as a result of racial violence, as a result of gendered violence. And we have to be clear, we're not saying that the women are more important. We're simply saying that Black women, Black trans women, we are just as important in the narrative um, as everyone else. So, Shar, what needs to happen in order to ensure that violence against women is quelled, not just on paper, but in real life? Whew. Girl, um, that is something that we have been tackling um, in everyday life outside of the civil rights movement, protecting the matriarchs, because we are the matriarchs of not just our families, but of the communities. But it's almost as if we don't get our flowers until we can't smell them. So I think that, you know, just in every day, finding out who who the single mothers is in the in the in in your community or in your building are, you know, who are the elderly as well as uh, as well as talking to our young boys, you know, about um, their interactions with girls, how they how they handle rejection. It shouldn't take for things to go viral for the importance of our lives and our respect and our dignity to be reserved. Yeah, it's like, what is it going to take for folks to finally um, pay attention, right? And I mean, we have to have these conversations with people that we love. We have to have these conversations with perfect strangers sometimes. So how do we actually go and correct some of the existing injustices that Black women experience all the time, from poor housing to environmental racism to, yes, economic injustice that affects us disproportionately? I'm going to say the controversial word that everybody hates to hear, reparations. And I'll tell you why. Because at the end of the day, you got to look at companies. I'm not going to name any because I don't want to get revolt in trouble. But <laughs> but there are companies who made their original money during slavery time. And now you're looking generations later and they still have family members sitting on those boards or yeah. receiving checks. So if you're going to look at the generational wealth that was passed down, you have to be honest about the generational debt that was passed down to us. Because beyond just not even having access to funds without funds, then you don't have financial education. So we didn't pass down generational financial education. Then you look at all of the help that the U.S. gave to white Americans in order to allow them to build wealth in a new country. Right there. Yeah. Between 1923 and 1965, over 120 billion dollars was underwritten for home ownership. And 98 percent of that went to white residents. 
So what needs to happen so that we can actually get from a system working as it was designed to get to a system of democracy that works for all of us? We as a whole, um, not just the activism community, but also our everyday community, I think that we have to be more involved in these local as well as national processes outside of when these politicians are telling us to. How can somebody who maybe thinks they don't want to get involved in politics, they don't know when all the deadlines are, they don't know exactly when to show up and vote or when the city council meeting is or when and they should submit public comment. How should those folks go about engaging in accountability? Because remember, the process begins when you vote. It doesn't end when you vote. If I want to be clear that I, I know the importance of voting, um, that we have to get out and vote, that it's critical. Our ancestors died, got bitten by dogs, all that jazz so that we could vote. But here's one thing that's, that I think people don't think about is, you know, poor people vote and rich people lobby. And that's a huge difference in how mm-hmm. things actually vote. So you might drop that mic. Poor people (laughs) vote and rich people lobby. Tell us, tell us exactly what you mean. So if you're looking at actually getting laws changed, if you're actually looking at hardcore accountability, that comes through the lobbying system. Um, Though those are the people who are in place who are making sure that if we need to get some people on our side um, for a vote that that is happening. Well, listen, this has been an enlightening conversation. As for me and what I imagine, if justice is like Dr. Cornell West says, what love looks like in public, then it is possible for us to live together as long as people are actually experiencing justice in real ways. Um, and that Black people cannot just survive, but thrive. And that Black folks can not only live, but that the world doesn't kill the genius within us as we do so. I believe that we can make that true for Black folks. I believe that we can make that true for marginalized people all over the globe. And we are seeing this moment as a global movement. And it is important for us not only to appreciate the solidarity we're getting from places like Brazil and Colombia and Palestine and so many other places, but that we also show them solidarity because guess what? Anti-Blackness is global. There are women of color suffering all over the world. There are queer people, trans folks suffering all over the world. There are Jewish people suffering all over the world. There are folks who deserve justice. At the end of the day, I believe fully that justice is divine and that it is owed to all of us just like that check America needs to write to us for our ancestors who built this joint for free. And for Char- us, we're still building it for free. We, we still are the building it. We are the architect of school. We teach everybody. We, we are the architect We make school. the taste, we baby. We make we the taste. We teach everybody what's popping. We definitely make the taste and and folks owe us for that and so much more. We owe both of you a debt of gratitude for spending your time with us today. Thank you so much, not only for this conversation, but for everything you do. Now, while today's episode was about say her name, saying her name is simply the beginning. You see, Black lives can't matter until the lives of Black women matter. We can't be at all serious about the liberation of black people in this country until we get especially serious about the liberation of black women in our country. You see, Brother Malcolm said it best, the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. And the most neglected person in America is the black woman. And see y'all, we simply cannot have that any longer. We have to protect our sisters. We have to show up for our sisters. We have to put our bodies in front of 
our sisters. I saw something on social media today that really summed it up. Simply because our black women carry it well does not mean it's not heavy. So I implore you to recognize the value of black women. Think for just a minute what our society would be like, what our communities would be like without the black woman. I really can't do it y'all because that's not a world I want to live in. And trust me, neither do you. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams.